Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Kodo Cinema, the podcast show where I talk about movies, and I'm your host, Mark Kodo. When it comes to movies, adaptations come to mind. With adaptations, this can stem from books, comic books, musicals, theater plays, and more. One genre that comes to my mind for movie adaptations is young adult novels. In case if anyone's asking if I'm do- doing a top 10 movies based on young adult novels, sadly, I am not. Because uh, this episode is a movie review, and to which you'll hear in, a, in about a minute. Sorry, folks, that is a list for another day. Okay, back on the subject, there have been multiple movies that are based on young adult novels. Some of them can be hit or miss. Like a few examples, like the Harry Potter franchise and the Hunger Games franchise. Both of them are really big hits, to which they're both based off of young adult novels. And there can be some misses, like uh, like Percy Jackson. Although uh, I, I I didn't I didn't think Percy Jackson the Percy Jackson movies were that bad, but I can understand what the critics and audiences are talking about. But that doesn't mean that that it had its fair share of good moments. And and speaking of misses, there is one movie that is basically a huge miss. And I am pretty sure everybody knows what I'm talking about. And this movie will be Artemis Fowl. Oh yeah, I'm pretty sure you guys knew right out of the gate after I mentioned that I was doing a review of a young adult novel movie. Okay, so uh, before I go, before I jump into the movie, let's do a little brief history. Based on the 2001 novel by Eoin Colfer, Artemis Fowl follows a 12-year-old boy who is a criminal mastermind. I mean, yeah, he he's technically a kid, and 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 this kid in this novel is a is a young criminal mastermind. I mean, come on, give him points for that. There are eight books. Wow, that is definitely a lot. Kind of kind of like the same as Harry Potter. The genre itself is more of a fantasy than a young adult novel, although it does have a young adult style, so it technically counts as a young adult novel. And I mean, hey, Artemis is young, which makes sense for the genre. While the novels were, were actually pretty good, then a film adaptation was announced. In 2000, 2001, Miramax Films purchased the film rights to Artemis Fowl. The screenplay for the film and, and the casting was all, was all set up, but many people were, were pretty divisive and skeptical on whether or not production would move forward. So basically, the film was in quote-unquote development hell for a decade until 2011. And speaking of which, Irish actor Sarisi Ronan was originally cast as a fairy named Holly Short. But unfortunately, this film was stuck in development, but it wasn't until 2013 where an announcement was made that the movie will be based on the first two books. Hmm, it seems pretty interesting, but will, will it work like that? Well, I don't know, but hey, uh, Michael Goldberg, Gold, I mean, Michael Goldenberg will write the screenplay, and Robert De Niro and Jane Rosenthal will, will serve as executive producers. Hmm. Hey, hey, that's a, that's a, that's, that is pretty interesting. Michael, Michael Goldenberg isn't the only writer on this movie. Irish playwright Connor McPherson also contributed to the screenplay. Disney was also announced as one of the studios to distribute the film alongside the Weinstein Company with a possible release date in, of, in August of 2019, later delayed until May 29, 2020, until COVID-19 hit and pushed the film to Disney+. Before that, Disney terminated their partnership with the latter company due to 
controversial scandals in 2018. I am not going to go into detail on that, by the way, folks. And I'm pretty sure I know who. I'm pretty sure you guys know who I'm talking about. Anyway, Jim Sheridan, Jim Sheridan left the film for unknown reasons with the with the studio, replacing him with another director. And enter Kenneth Branagh. Kenneth Branagh is an Irish actor and director who recently directed the first Thor movie and 2015's live-action remake of Cinderella for Disney. By the, by the way, I enjoyed the 2015 live-action remake of Cinderella. He also collaborated with filmmaker Christopher Nolan on 2017's Dunkirk, and he also collaborated with him again in 2020's Tenet. He acted in, in many movie roles, including Chariots of Fire, Hamlet, Henry V, Wild Wild West, Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets, and Murder on the Orient Express, including the sequel, Death on the Nile. When I heard about Kenneth Branagh directing this movie, I think it might be pretty good, since Artemis Fowl is a young adult fantasy novel, so it wouldn't make sense for Kenneth Branagh to, to direct. And he has, uh, has experience in some fantasy movies as an actor and director, or should I say a bit, a bit of both. So it would be, and it would be interesting. I did mention in my, uh, in one of my podcast episodes of top 10 movies being pushed to, to another release day or on demand due to COVID-19 where, where Kenneth Branagh was directing Artemis Fowl. So I, th- I thought I took a, I thought I'd take the chance to watch the movie. And speaking of which, uh, do you think the long production of Artemis Fowl is going to appeal to the fans of the source material? Oh boy, apparently not. The film is basically a combination of science fiction and fantasy, which would have been good. I mean, uh, this wasn't the first time it actually happened. Uh, Kenneth Branagh did that with t- 2011's Thor, which is a combination of, of mostly fantasy, including science fiction. And to quote uh, Jane Foster, to, to quote Jane Foster in, in the first Thor movie, magic is just science that we don't understand. Well, something like that, but, but hey, that, that is definitely true, yeah. <laughs> but, but however... <clears throat> The execution of it was not what people were expecting because the movie tried to combine the first two books into one. I mean, like I said, interesting, interesting to do, but uh, it's got to balance. It has to balance. It works at times, but sometimes it doesn't work. And and my and my God, it's like the Dark Tower movie combining all eight books into one film for a 100-minute runtime. But for Artemis Fall, 95 minutes. And that would have worked for the first book. Even though the author, Ewan Colfer, described the book as a fantasy version of Die Hard, but with fairies. <laughs> for the film, I guess it was trying to be Harry Potter with spy kids and men in black. But with a 12-year-old but, but criminal mastermind. All right, all right. I, I know some people are saying, I know you guys are probably saying I'm kind of being harsh, but when I saw the movie, it was tough for me to figure out if it was a decent film or not, especially on a budget of $125 million with a legendary director and Disney pushing the film on Disney+. Plus. I think Disney might have predicted the Artemis opportunity for this film to succeed. For the record, I, I, for the record, I, I've never read any of the any of the books, so technically I'm more in the minor zone here. So, yeah, yeah, I know, I know. I probably should have read the books first, but uh, I I never actually read any of the books. So technically I'm more of a minor here. I know it's a little harsh, but but uh, I have seen films that have not succeeded, 
I mean, I, I including some movies, including some movies that I mentioned on my top ten list. They can be either guilty pleasures or a bit mixed to positive reception. Other times can be mixed to negative reviews, and I have uh, and I have done some of them in most of my top ten lists. But for this one, this is actually pretty much my first ever movie review where it, I actually saw a movie that technically didn't go as well. But anyway, I'll I'll tell you we'll tell you a bit about the movie. So anyway, by the way, like I said, never read any of the books, so I can only gather so much information between the film and book. So let's go on a let's go on a mission for a criminal mastermind. This is Artemis Fowl. By the way, spoiler alert. The film, op- the film opens up with the, th- the, the foul manor on the coast of Ireland, where news stations and police and the police force uh, show- shows up about a certain crime that just happened, only to discover that they have arrested a giant dwarf named Mulch Diggins, which happens to be played by Josh Gad, who is taken to, to a prison island where he's interrogated by British intelligence. It turns out that the... D- and yes, I, I mentioned that the dwarf is being played by Josh Gad, who has a, a voice... A voice that sounds very similar to Batman. There, there were some pretty interesting voices in this movie, so yeah. But I'll admit, uh, I will admit, Josh Gad, at least Josh Gad had the gut, guts to at least try to pull off an accent in this movie, which at the same time kind of cracked me up a little bit, especially in the trailer. So, yeah, basically, I think rumors has it he's supposed to have, like, somewhat of a, either a, a Scottish accent or an Irish, a- Irish accent, since this is taking place in Ireland, by the way. But, uh, but, uh, I, do, I do not know how the voices will work out. But anyway, but anyway, I'm not going to argue with that. But anyway, uh, Mulch tells British intelligence the story of Artemis Fowl, which means the kid. So we do get a backstory where Artemis Fowl Jr., played by Ferdia Shaw, Ferdia Shaw, fun fact, Ferdia is the grandson of, of the late great Robert Shaw, who played Quint in Steven Spielberg's Jaws. Now I will admit, I mean, I mean, he's just a ki- I mean, Ferdia is just a kid in this movie, so I can understand why um, sometimes, sometimes, uh, first time, go- sometimes uh, even rookies uh, in the, in in their first time movie roles can have mistakes so so i'm not i'm not gonna go i'm not gonna i can't bl- i can't blame him for this i mean I, I can see that he's definitely trying in this movie but but anyway uh going on to the character himself artemis is a mastermind of all things especially while he's at school and to be to be fair even for a young kid some masterminds can turn out to be uh maybe criminals for mostly for in books mostly in books i mean yeah, I mean this can happen in most books. So anyway, yeah, and we later we later get to see we later get to see the mansion again, and I will admit the man the mansion itself is actually pretty pretty good, and with some with some st- stellar cinematography, where Artemis Fowl Jr. actually that is his name Artemis Fowl Jr. gets to see his father Artemis Fowl Senior Senior, or Sir or <clears throat> I think it's Sir I should say Artemis Fowl Sir. Played by Colin Farrell and his bodyguard Butler, but bodyguard and Butler, Domovoy Dom Butler, who who tells his son about the stories of the Irish fairy tales. He, w- yep, yep, we get to see fairies in this movie, 
And and by the way, I forgot to mention there was a scene and there was a definitely a scene where Artemis is being talked to by I think it was a counselor or something. And he, and uh, he he does try to act a little intimidated intimidating, which uh, to be fair, which to be fair that is true because uh, he's technically a criminal mastermind. But he ultimately walks out. But he ultimately walks out of it. So anyway, anyway, anyway. His father later goes on goes missing on a boat trip called the Owl Star, only to be accused and captured for stealing artifacts aboard. This leads to a phone call to the foul, foul mansion where his son answers the phone, only to be heard by a mysterious hooded figure who tells Artemis Fowl he has three days to retrieve a special artifact that his father has stole and hid, known as the Aculus. And by the way, and by the way, the Aculus was never mentioned in the first book. I think this was made up for the. F I think this was made up for the film, folks. So, uh, and by the by the way, and by the way, she does. And by the way, the hidden figure, the or hooded hooded figure, turns out to be, uh, turns out to be having the exact same voice too, the, the similar voice that Josh Gad has. So anyway, as I mentioned, at the distress call, Dom shows Artemis a hidden library where the Fowl family generation has a huge catalog proof of magical creatures. Hmm. I wonder what magical creatures could they be? Well, I guess you you'll soon know that th that this uh, that this scene later transitions to a magical underground fairy world called the the Haven City, which which actually to be fair looks pretty good and stunning with good vis visuals and a sense of fantasy that adds in a little bit of science fiction. We get to see uh, what actually appears to be human-sized fairies known as Laura Elements Police Reconnaissance. Re Reconnaissant or Lep Leprechaun for short. One of the leprechauns named Holly Short, play played by La played by Laura McDonald, is being encountered by a dwarf named Moach. Yes, we get to see Moach again. By the way, oh oh wait, that's right. He was introduced in the beginning, and they actually and act and this was actually a pretty clever fourth wall break after Moach explained from the prison cell in the end of the film. So technically, so technically, uh, Josh Gad actually narr narrates most of the film before it transitions to his character the day before. The day before, uh, so to speak. So anyway, um, so anyway, Holly is taking Mulch to prison for for crimes crimes unknown and bringing up and it, and there was actually some moment and uh, and there were some moments that were actually brought up that kind of didn't fit, but. But I'll admit, I'll admit, when Mulch uh, took Holly's musical device, I think it was an iPhone or something, or musical device, I should say, I actually got a chuckle out of that. And he actually listens to the music in a prison cell full of goblins, which the goblins were supposed to appear in the second book. I feel like something's up here, folks. I mean, yep, something is definitely up. We later get to see the entire leprechaun force, le force led by Commander Julius Root, played by Judy Dench. Uh, who is uh, setting up a mission to search for the Aculus. Things got pixelated when a centaur named Fo Foley discover discovers a troll in Italy who is to which is attacking. Holly is being set out to attack the troll only for a time free only for a time freeze to stop time and subdue the troll while wiping out human the memories of of humans. I'm gonna be telling you honestly, Sonic and Hammy and Quicksilver can pull off better time freezes than this. Okay, okay, maybe I'm being a little harsh on that, but I mean, 
Yeah, maybe maybe some people can pull off time pre freezes. But anyway, so Holly flies away to the foul mansion because she noticed something's up, and she disobeys Root's orders from the pick from. From the pixie, from the pixie, from the pixie hollow version of MI6. Okay, it's having city, but I'm saying this to be, I'm, I'm just saying this as a joke. Only to be captured and imprisoned by Dom and, of course, Artemis. The reason why Holly went there? Well, actually, Holly wants to clear her father's name because, because her father, named Be Beechwood, was the person responsible to give the aculus to Artemis Ball's father. Only to find out that the hooded figure that catcher him is named Opal Cowboy. Oh, I mean, Opal Cowboy? Cowboy? I, I think I'm saying this right. Opal Cowboy, a powerful fairy who wants to wipe out humankind. All right, folks, I think this is where the film kind of jumped the gun here. Opal Cowboy was introduced in the second book as the antagonist. Somehow, I guess the studio wanted to bring this villain in at a rushed pace. By the way, isn't wiping out humankind, um, humankind Thanos' goal or any other villain that we know in, in, in the movies? Okay, maybe I could be wrong, but anyway. Anyway, uh, Holly wakes up in a cage-like prison cell at, at Foul Manor, who is guarded by the butler's niece, Juliet, who, who, barely, does any, who barely does anything in this, in this movie. By the, by the way, Juliet is butler's little sister in the novels. Holly has a conversation with young Artemis Fall. I think this mo mo moment, I mean, moment between Artemis and Holly would have been a good moment, but I, I still cannot take the writing seriously. I guess you can say Artemis is trying to act intimidating since he is a criminal mastermind at the age of 12, to which everyone cannot believe that a 12-year-old boy is a criminal mastermind. However, Holly doesn't buy it. But what, the, but what she does know is that Artemis doesn't believe that that because his father stole the aculus and doesn't realize that Beechwood, Holly's father, gave him the aculus. I mean, I mean, it was it was stated in the beginning of the movie that Artemis was surprised to know that his father is a criminal mastermind. Now, Artemis is a criminal mastermind in the book. I mean, would that also make sense? Would that also make sense for him to be a criminal mastermind in this movie too? All right, I'm gonna move forward here. Uh, anyway, we cut back to the top to the top of the morning on shore at Foul Manor, where an army of fairies stepped stepped ashore. Where Commander Root shows up. By the way, she does say top. In, by the way, she does say top in the morning, even though no one is around. Okay, for well, except for the fairies. I mean, I can't tell if I mean I know it says leprechaun, leprechaun, but they're most likely most likely fairies. Human size, uh, human size fairies. I mean, to be fair. Okay, so anyway, their time freeze ray descends upon the manor, leading, leading to the butler and Artemis to fight. Ooh, ooh, criminal, the, the young criminal mastermind going up against an army of fairies. Ooh, this is going to be pretty good. Pretty good. I will admit the battle itself is interesting, but it feels so rushed that I couldn't keep up with the pace. The battle stops only for Artemis to demand the aculus in exchange for Holly to be released. This leads to Root's mind being changed uh, and decides to bring in, oh, I, I mean, uh, Mulch, to be released from prison only for his sentence to be shortened. So why are the fairies releasing Mulch? Well, they want him to infiltrate the, the foul manor and search for the Aculus. Mulch, fi Mulch finally gets to shore and decides to dig underground to the foul manor. 
through some very unsettling CGI. Uh, yeah, there was definitely some unsettling CGI moments when Mulch starts to dig. I think it was with his mouth. Oh, boy. Anyway, he gets inside, only to find the safe that Artemis, uh, Artemis's father installed. So he basically breaks the code to the first door of the safe, only to be confronted by another safe door with gears. I mean, that is true. Some, some criminals need to, be, need to be smart about this. So anyway, is Mulch, Mulch going to do anything? Well, of course he does. He uses his hair bangs to break, break in the gears of the safe. Back on the beach, one of the leprechaun lieutenants turns out to, to, to be a spy for Opal and seizes the command, command of the force. And by the way, this was, I'm pretty sure this was shoehorned in at the last minute. I mean, like, we never know get, get to know about this lieutenant anyway. I mean, not the, not the commander. I'm talking about the other guy. So anyway, anyway, this leads an idea to get the troll out of the bridge and break into the foul manor as a result of the magic that is, being, that is now being jammed. This also catches the attention of Mulch, who ends up swallowing the Aculus and, and then teams up with Artemis, Holly, and Dom. Unfortunately, the troll comes in and starts a rampage in the foul manor. I'm pretty sure they didn't knock down the door like, like, like the troll did in the Lord of the Ring, like in like the troll did in Lord of the Rings during the Minds of Moria sequence. Although this time it was through some crazy CGI effects. Oh boy! Oh, oh my God! I mean. The trolls from the Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit had better CGI than this. Even though the troll in the first Harry Potter movie looks slightly better compared to the compared to the troll in Artemis Fowl. While this criminal battle rages, it ultimately ultimately ends where uh, where the troll gets crushed by a chandelier, along with 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 Dom, who also got crushed. By the way, Dom was uh, saving Artemis's life because he was in, because uh, Artemis was in the strike zone. So, apparently, Dom, I think Dom suddenly dies from his injuries, but the fairies, but Holly and the fairies decided to unblock the magic so Holly can revive Dom. All in all, now here's the thing, all in all, Artemis Bow, the kid, the kid himself, who is a criminal mastermind, doesn't do much crime, doesn't do any crime in this movie. I mean... He turns from a criminal mastermind to a hero in this movie. Well, I, uh, that is not a bad change. It, I feel like it totally deviates his character from the source materials or something. I mean, I think it's the writing that makes it mind-boggling. His friendship with Holly was way too soon, although I think he develops the, the friendship later, later in the end of the movie, or maybe towards the end of the first book, after, after Holly revive, revives her mom. And no, and no, I am not making this up. The ending of the first novel has Holly reviving Artemis's mother, and we don't, we do not see the mom in the film for unknown reasons. So yeah, yeah, I mean, like that was that was what the ending of the first book was like. His his father, I mean, his father wasn't even in, in the first book. His father appeared in the second book. It looks like. But but it seems like but hey but they combined both books into one so that's kind of a little little bit of a mess right here. Although to the film's credit, Holly and Mulch are probably the only good parts of this film. They both actually perform their perform their parts pretty well. I mean, despite the 
despite the writing, but the, but the performances still hold, but they do hold their own in terms of performances. So still, they were actually pretty good in this movie. I mean, I will admit the costume design for the fairies are actually definitely good, including some of the visual aspect. Anyway, the time freeze the time freeze collapsed, but the fairies and mulch were able to escape. In this scene, we get some weird time loop action as the fairies are being sucked into the other worlds, going back and forth between other worlds in the foul manner. Well, I can I can say this: Doctor Strange had better time loops in his solo outing than in than Artemis's first film. Oh wait, that's a different franchise because this this franchise that we're, that we're getting right now, Artemis Fowl, is is collapsing while the other one while the other franchise is succeeding. As the time as time continues to loop on shore, Artemis is left with the Aculus, and no human has ever used the Aculus. Oh, by the way, the Aculus looks like a golden acorn, which which I'm pretty sure Scrap the Squirrel would have would have definitely liked. So anyway, going back on topic, so what does Artemis do with the Aculus? Either A, keep the Aculus to himself, B, toss, toss the Aculus away, C, end the movie entirely, or D, give it to Holly. Well, if you guess C, well, you were close. If your answer was D, well, Holly jolly indeed, because Artemis gave the Aculus to Holly so she, so... So she can help bring back his father from being killed by the hooded figure. Later, later Artemis's father is back in the foul manor for a happy ending with his son. In the end, Holly takes the Aculus back to Haven City, where it belongs. Root is commander once more, and the Aculus is now protected. Hopefully. Artemis later call, calls the Green Hood, or it's the hooded figure, it's the hooded figure to let her know that he is coming for her. I think that scene alone would have been a good post-credit, post-credit scene for for the end of this of the first movie, just to set up the first no, not first, uh, second book, just to set up the second book. Even though, uh, even though this character is named Opal Cowboy, who is basically the hooded figure, she didn't appear until the second book. I mean, I would have, I would have, I wouldn't mind a post-credit scene in this in this film setting up setting up the villain for the sequel but i'm pretty sure this sequel will not go so anyway artemis also has a trick up his sleeve since he was the one who set up mulch's mulch's arrest which the ending of the film goes back to the beginning of mulch's interrogation however mulch gets break out of out of prison by a helicopter rescue mission from the criminal mastermind himself and holly mulch the fowls and holly fly in the sky for a brand new mission Unfortunately, we are not going to get a new mission. We are not going to get a new mission for the sequel, because because the sequel became a came and because the sequel will not be will not be in. And there you have it, folks. That is my review of Artemis Fowl. What do you guys think? Was I was I a little too harsh on this film? Have you guys even seen this film yet? Oh oh jeez, yeah I know. I'll be honest with you, I've seen films where they completely destroy the source material. Other times, they try to add in new material while keeping it faithful, but it sometimes fails in execution due to writing. And this film, Artemis Fowl, is no exception. I've seen a lot of young adult novels in the past when I was younger, and I enjoyed some of them. Artemis Fowl is nowhere near as faithful to the books. I guess you could say it 
at least the film at least tried to, but the writing writing itself was on the wall. Artemis doesn't do that much crime in the movie. He just becomes a hero, which deviates his character from from the novels. And uh, and for the kid, I mean, I mean, I can't blame the kid here. I mean, I think the kid was actually the kid the. The actor who played uh, the kid, the twelve-year-old uh, criminal mastermind Artemis, uh, Ferdia Shaw, I think he he actually did uh, did pretty decent. He actually did pretty decent. I'm not gonna say it was the best. I mean, he he did pretty decent, but knowing that his character is supposed to be more of a more of a criminal mastermind rather than a hero, but other than that, I I, I can't uh, blame the kid here. I can't. I think I think Ferdia Shaw did a pretty good job, but I didn't think. But I didn't think the script was was good for him. And uh, speaking of which, I can't blame Kenneth Branagh here because he at least tried to make a good film. And and with a film that combines with science fiction and fantasy, that would have actually been pretty good. I mean, I mean, I think Kenneth Branagh would have pulled off Artemis Fowl pretty well, and if if not only the studio interfered this i'm pretty sure this film was actually interfered because i think the studio execs execs had a lot more creative ideas for this film than brana i i mean i think brana would have had multiple multiple ideas for what the for what the film would have would have looked like especially for the first first book i mean why not why couldn't they just use the first book i don't know i mean like my god i mean i mean how can we get a movie that combines with two books into one I mean, it, it can work at times, but some, but this one, this this movie did not. I also feel bad for Judy Dench though, because in this in this film, I guess she at least tried to be good. But as I mentioned, the writing for this film is on the wall. And uh, speaking of which, this includes the cat the cat the catastrophe that is cats. I mean, yes, the can this came out a few months after cats. So yeah, but. I'm sorry, I kind of feel bad for Judy Dench in this movie. I mean, like I said, I think she at least tried to be good, but the the writing was on the wall. Even Josh Gad at least tried, but I think he's the only good part in this film. The CGI doesn't help either, although some of the visual effects uh, were, were pretty good. The music and costume designs are pretty good, too. Even the cinematography, although the, some of the cinematography can be a bit clunky at times, but I think most of it was actually was actually breathtaking. And uh, by the way, by the way, uh, speaking of Josh Gad, this is also Josh Gad's second collaboration with Kenneth Branagh, and, uh, and since uh, since uh, Murder on the Orient Express, so that is definitely. That is definitely something, and uh, this, including Judy Dench, who has collaborated with Kenneth Branagh on multiple on multiple films. So that is that is also surprising too. The same goes with composer Patrick Doyle, who also composed the music for for Artemis Fall, and uh, I think the music in this film is actually pretty pretty decent too. So <clears throat> overall, this movie became an Artemis opportunity to start a franchise for this young adult film film franchise even even with a long production of 20 years they could have used that time to film the first book rather than combining both books into one i mean even if they even if they want to combine both both books into one that's that's probably fine but you still 
you, you gotta understand the source material. And as I mentioned about the post-credit scene, even though there's no post-credit scene, I think, now this is, I don't know if this will work, but this is a big if. They could have set up the, they could have set up the villain at, for a post-credit scene to set up the film, the, the film's sequel then. I mean, we would we would we would have get a, a, a pretty good, a pretty good sequel bait here. Like we would have known we would that foreshadows into what we're gonna get next in the sequel. That way, I mean, like because we want to see the the hooded figure being set up for the for the sequel. That that probably would have worked, but apparently that 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 did not happen because actually that was never part of the book. But I mean. I mean, would have worked? I mean, no. I mean, I'm pretty sure it won't, but maybe it will, because even though that was not in the source material, I mean, the villain itself, the hooded figure, didn't even appear in, in this, didn't appear until the second book. So, yeah. So anyway, this, this film was, was, was stuck in production since 2001, so I can definitely tell why a lot of people did not like this movie. I mean, I mean, there were some moments in this film that I liked, but in the end, I didn't really enjoy this movie. Enjoy this movie, and um, and with with a lot of time and, and money around, that that is definitely hard, especially especially when especially with this pandemic around. I mean, they pushed the film to Disney Plus, which which is a pretty smart smart move, but but still, but still, it it still didn't work out pretty well. And uh, I would I would have mind see, seeing uh, seeing the first book being brought to life in a movie, but anyway, we we only got a combination of both books. So anyway, yeah, that's 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 the that's that's it, folks. So yeah. Anyway, this does bring up a question: Will there ever be a remake? I mean, who knows? Maybe there will be if it takes another twenty years to get it right. So, hey, you never know. Maybe well. I mean, if we wait uh, another 20 years or so, I say we might actually, I think in the future, we might actually get a good Artemis Fowl movie in the future. But uh, that, but we may have to wait for that. And I am pretty sure there won't be a sequel to this. After the, after the critical reception of this film, it is highly unlikely we'll ever get an Artemis Fowl sequel. But hey, you never know. Anyway, thank you, thank you for tuning in to Kodo Cinema. I'm your host, Mark Kodo. Remember to stay, po- remember to stay positive, and and also have a have a have a good day and stay safe and stay safe, folks. Bye.